receive him. You always feel better after you've prayed, don't you? Because we, we don't pray to one who doesn't hear. But we pray to a God who calls us to relationship with him. And that is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. But this evening we're going to continue our journey through the Old Testament. Um, we're on book six, which means we've been doing this for six weeks. Right? Uh, which is very good. Um, and just the story so far, background is very, very important. Background is very important whenever we're looking at anything. We started in the book of Genesis, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I was once told that those five first words in scripture are five of the most important words in our faith. In the beginning, God created very important and it sets a scene and the book of Genesis goes on and we meet various different characters and then we come to this man Abram who later becomes Abraham and God makes Abraham a promise and I believe that the children were looking at this promise this morning that he would be the father of all nations that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky And then he goes on later in the book, and at the book of Genesis, there's this man called Joseph. And Joseph um, is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery in Egypt, but God is with him, and God gives him favor. He becomes second in command over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and he's given influence. And uh, long story short, go and read the book of Genesis, brilliant stuff. But long story short, Joseph... Saves his family from famine. His family come back to him. Um, And there's this beautiful story of restoration that takes place. But on Joseph's deathbed, Joseph had 12 sons. Because he's mad, right? (laughs) 12 sons. And on his deathbed, he makes this promise. Um, He is empowered by the Lord and makes this promise to his son, Judah. And that promise... It's going to be fulfilled. This promise. But God has also promised in these books. He's promised that the people of Israel would inherit a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And as we go into Exodus and Joseph is long forgotten and the people of Israel are downtrodden and they are slaves now in Egypt... God uses a man, he raises up a man, Moses, who made mistakes, absolutely, but who trusted God and whom God used to free the people from the tyranny of slavery in Egypt. And then they go on this wandering and the people begin to moan. Don't you love it when people moan? The people begin to moan. They're hungry. They're thirsty. It would have been better if we'd have just slaved and uh, just stayed slaves in Egypt. Why did you bring us here? We're gonna die out here. Ugh. And as a result, that generation miss out on the blessing that God has promised to them. It doesn't mean that God will not fulfill His promise because God always fulfills His promise. All of His promises are yes. And amen in Jesus Christ. But it means that it's going to skip a generation. And the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, they tell of, of laws that God, the holy God, has set out before the people 
not to make them his people because he has already said, you will be my people and I will be your God. But in order to maintain that relationship with the holy God, because God is holy and God cannot be around that which is unholy. So there were laws and there were guidelines and rules which were put in place in order for the people of Israel to commune with God. The book of Leviticus starts with God speaking to Moses from within the tent. Moses is outside the tent. The presence of God is inside the tent of meeting. And Leviticus 1 and 1 tells of God speaking to Moses from within the tent. Numbers chapter 1 and verse 1 tells of God speaking to Moses in the tent. Because the rules, because the commandments, the making of this holy people are being followed. And as a result, communion with God is possible. But as we've looked at, there is this generation who will miss out on the inheritance that God has promised to them. And towards the end um, of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. Moses also made a mistake where he played God in his own life rather than following the instruction of God. And as a result, he also missed out on this inheritance that he would have. But God raised up another man to lead the people. And that is where we find ourselves tonight, in the book of Joshua. The worst biblical joke I've ever heard is this. And you're laughing because I think you know it, right? Who's the only orphan in the Bible? Joshua, the son of man, right? Awful joke, awful joke. But this is whom we're going to be considering tonight, this book of Joshua. And you need to know that this is not just a book about Joshua, but this is a book of God's promise being fulfilled amongst his people. At the start of the book of Deuteronomy, it's important for us to to note that Moses began by teaching the new generation the law. By telling the new generation of how God had raised them up and led them from slavery in Egypt. And he almost downloaded into their minds and taught them time after time of the importance of following God's law. And here at the, book, at the start of the book of Joshua, a picture is painted that as Moses has just died and the people are readying themselves to enter into the promised land, that land that is flowing with milk and honey, that land that was promised to their ancestors long ago, there is this picture being painted of Joshua being raised up as the leader of the people and as the new Moses. Joshua chapter 1, he commands the people to obey the commands of the Torah. To obey the law which God gave to Moses. And he's saying, Moses might be gone, but this law still stands. This law of us becoming this holy people, it's as important today as it was when it was first given. And I can say tonight, It's as important today as it was when it was first given as well. Then Moses, uh, Joshua, sorry, 
follows in Moses' footsteps. You see, Joshua was one of the uh, spies who was sent out to scout the land. And Joshua, before he leads the people into the land, he also sends out these spies. He says, go and check. It's been a long time. A lot changes in a week. And he spell fast, doesn't it? Never mind 40 years. So go, spy out the land. Tell us what you find. And they find this um, prostitute by the name of Rahab. And we don't have time to look at Rahab in great detail this evening, but it's very important that we don't gloss over this. Because Rahab is one of, uh, one of a number of women who is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But she was a prostitute. She was a woman of disrepute. Um, she was a Canaanite, an enemy of the people of God. Yet when the spies came in and they were being chased by the Canaanites, Rahab hid them. And Rahab realized that there was something that these men had, that something being God, the Lord God, the God of Israel, that she wanted. And she basically bargained with them. And she says, I'll shield you from this because your God is the one true God. I'll shield you from these people, but in return, remember me when you come and take the land. And we'll look at this later. As well, but it's very important for us not to just gloss over this as we're doing an overview of the book of Joshua that there is redemption for those who are far off. In our books, as we read the good book, a woman of disrepute, a prostitute was probably the farthest off that you could get, especially being an enemy of the people of God on top of all of that. Yet God's redemptive purposes are seen and shown time and time again throughout the scriptures, but here in the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua. And I say that this evening because it's very important that we realize those people in our heads who are far, far, far off, that they're too far gone, you need to know this, that there is no one who is too far off that God can't draw back to himself. There is no one who's so far gone that they're outside of the love of God. There's nobody so far gone that they're outside of the reach of the church of Jesus Christ. And as we looked at this morning, the church is called to do the ministry of Jesus. We are Christ's ambassadors. So that person... That whenever I say far off, too far gone, there's bound to be people come to your head. That person's not too far off. And we see that in Rahab. And then in chapters 3 to 4, Joshua leads the people into the promised land. They don't take it all at once. They take it bit by bit, city by city. But the, the beginning of leading Israel into the promised land happens at the start of the book of Joshua. And there is this amazing, amazing chapter in chapter 3. Again, that we don't, because we are doing an overview of the book this evening, we don't have time to go into in the detail that it deserves. But this parting of the River Jordan, 
just as God parted the Red Sea through Moses' staff, God parts the, red, parts the River Jordan for the people to walk across in dry land. And here we just see all of these echoes of what Moses did as empowered by God. We see Joshua doing similar. And Joshua is being raised up as an example to the people by God. And then in chapter 5, there's this idea that Joshua begins to talk about. He starts to talk about looking back, the importance of remembering where you've come from. You ever met somebody who's forgotten where they've come from? Uh, you're laughing, right? But here he's saying to the people, don't forget where you came from. And he points back once again to the law. He points back once again to this outward sign of circumcision. He points back to the Passover, which took place before the people were freed from Egypt, that final act of God in Egypt on behalf of the people as the angel of death passed over the Jewish homes, the homes that were smeared with the blood of the Lamb. But then he also points forward. He says it's important to look back. It's important to remember where you came from. But it's also very important to know where you're going. And here he points to how this will be God's battle, how God has promised the people this land that is flowing with milk and honey and how God's plan and his purpose and his promise will prevail in their lives. And then Joshua has an encounter. I wonder who's the strangest person you've ever met? What's the strangest thing? Don't, don't answer that out loud, Marvin, right? Uh, right? But who's the stra- what's the strangest encounter that you've ever had? Because this was probably the strangest encounter Joshua would ever have. Our first point this evening is all about righteousness. It's all about righteousness. And in Joshua chapter 5, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now Joshua does something here that I wouldn't do to a man with a drawn sword in his hand. (laughs) Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Where else have you heard about taking the sandals off. Moses at the burning bush, taking the sandals off. God once again affirming Joshua's position as the leader of the people of Israel, as his chosen man. And we could talk a lot about that tonight. But as we think about righteousness, as we think about this right standing with God, 
Joshua asks a very important question here. He's got the Lord of angel armies before him. Now, he doesn't know that it's the commander of the Lord's armies who's before him at this stage, but he's got this man before him. They're living in a time of war. They're living in a time of conquest. They're living in a time where they are about to inherit all that God has promised them. And he looks this man in the eye and he says, are you for us or against us? Are you for us or against us? Are you for us or for our enemies? And the reply is maybe not what you were expecting. The reply from the commander of the Lord's armies is this. Neither. I'm not for you, and I'm not for, or I'm not for your enemies. But Joshua's reply here is of the utmost importance. And it changes the answer. It changes the answer. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. Now it's very important that we understand that this commander of the Lord's armies is not God the Father. Okay? It's very important that we realize that this is not God in physical form here, as some would try to suggest. But this is a represent, uh, representative of God here. Somebody who has been given authority by God to carry out the Lord's commands. And Joshua goes, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And upon realisation of who this individual is, Joshua falls face down. Because he knows the power that is within this man. The power that has an authority that has been given to this individual. But even more than that, he knows from whom the authority and the power is derived. And he falls face down. He falls face down. Joshua acts in righteousness here. He acts in right standing with God. And very often, right standing with God means that we're face down. It means that we're face down. Because, you see, as humans, we do not have this divine right that God will do whatever we want him to do. As human beings, we do not have this divine right that God will fight all of our battles for us and will win all of our battles for us. But as the people of God who choose righteousness, God exercises his divine right to fight our battles for us. God exercises his divine right to win our battles. But if we don't give them to him, he's not going to fight them 
for us. If we don't choose righteousness, if we don't choose right standing with him, if we don't choose holiness, and holiness is a choice, as we've looked at throughout the first five books. If we don't choose to be that holy people that God has called us to be, the reality is that God won't fight our battles for us. God is neutral until we choose to be on his side. And it's very important that we realize that. Very important. But if we choose righteousness, if we choose God, if we choose right standing with him, Psalm 5 and verse 12 says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Matthew 5 and verse 6. The Beatitudes Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We've got to choose the hunger and thirst for it, though. We've got to choose to be on the Lord's side. Because God doesn't pick sides. God is good. And sadly, everything else is evil. And we need to choose righteousness. We need to choose to be on the Lord's side. Do you remember that old song you used to sing in Sunday school? I am in the Lord's army. Mm-hmm. Huh? What, what, what was the song you were going to say there? I was going to say, who is on the Lord's side, who will praise his name. Ah, there we go. Who is on the Lord's side, who will praise his name. Absolutely. The reality is, as the people of God, we've got to choose to be on God's side. What side are you on? What side am I on? Because surely the Lord will bless the righteous and surround them with favour as with a shield. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the promise of God is this. You will be felt. You will be felt. But we've got to choose that righteousness. We've got to choose it. God's good. God doesn't force himself upon us. He doesn't force our hand. And just as God is good and he doesn't force our hand, the second thing we're going to look at this evening very, very quickly, because I just saw the time, is that God is faithful. God is faithful. As we've already said, all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most famous battle that the people of Israel um, had in the book of Joshua as they entered into the promised land was the battle of Jericho. Yeah? Hugh Laurie sang a song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho, and made it very popular. And other people made it very popular as well. But this is a very popular battle in Scripture. It's a very well-known battle in Scripture, but there is so much in there for us today that speaks of the faithfulness of God. And we're going to have to do it very quickly. I'm very sorry. I get excited when I talk about Jesus and I talk about God. But Joshua 6, verses 2 to 5, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, 
I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, it's very important that we realise that, uh, that Jericho is a fortified city. There are big walls around about it. Nobody gets in and nobody gets out without having to pass through the door in the centre. Nobody gets in or out without somebody realising this is an impressive city. You're probably looking at it as a soldier and you're thinking this is a very intimidating city. How on earth are we going to take this city? But the Lord says, as they are standing outside the city, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Uh, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. God gives a very clear battle plan. And his clear battle plan is this, don't fight. His clear battle plan to the people of Israel here is don't fight. It's march around the walls. Get everybody together. March around the walls. Day one, do it once. Day two, do it once. Right through to day six and do it once again. And on the seventh day, and seven is the biblical number of perfection. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. With the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast. And the whole army give a loud shout. And the wall of the city will collapse. And in these in-between verses we're going to jump to the fulfilment of this. But in these in-between verses. Joshua says to his army commanders. He says... All that the Lord has said to him. But he also says. And see when we let off this loud shout. May the loud shout be for the Lord and for Israel. For the Lord and for Israel. If you've ever seen the um, the movie adaption. The most modern one of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. As they go into battle. The loud, cry, the loud cry is for Narnia and for Aslan. Here, Joshua is saying, for the Lord and for Israel. May this be our battle cry. May this be our battle cry. If you're a soldier and you're just told to march round, you're sort of going, what's the point? What's the point? And you're on day you're on day five, and you're like, we've already tried this. And then you go to day six, and you're like, for goodness sake. And on day seven, you're like, I doing it seven times is going to make a load of difference, isn't it? But as we see here, the people followed through with the instructions that God had given to Joshua. 
And it says when the army shouted, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord, and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. There's so much here. The overarching theme is this, that God is faithful. God said, if you do this, this will happen. Sometimes, and I say we, including myself, sometimes we really complicate things. And we say, oh, well, you know, God told us to do this. But if we do this, 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 and this, then surely that will speed things along. You need to know that if God's made you a promise... He's not slow in fulfilling that promise in your life. If God's made you a promise, you need to know that God is faithful. That God will see that through. He will. It's who he is. And do you notice at the end of that reading that Rahab was spared? For me, that's the most remarkable thing about this. That even, even though the people of Israel were the people of God, God still welcomed others in. And just as God was faithful in bringing about the promise that he made to Joshua, God was also faithful in following through the oath that had been made to Rahab. Maybe you feel like you're a wee bit on the fringes. Hopefully not in the church. But maybe you do. Or maybe you feel like you're on, fring- on the fringes in your social circles or in, in, in your work life. Maybe you just feel like you're out on the fringes. The story of Rahab says this. That nobody's too far gone. That nobody's too far out. That nobody's too isolated. That nobody's too far gone. But that we have a God who beckons in. And a God who is faithful and just. And he will do it. But we've got to trust in him. God is faithful. And then in chapter, that's chapter 6. In chapter 7 to 8, there's this story of the conquest of I. AI. And we don't have time to go into that either this evening. But this is in stark contrast. Because God had given very clear instructions. The people of Israel, one man in particular, Achan, Achan, had disobeyed that. And as a result, the people of Israel fought against the people of Ai and they were getting very badly beaten. Because they had not followed the instructions that the Lord had given to them. And there's this contrast between the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness and failure of the people of Israel. But God is a redemptive God. 
God is in the business of restoration. And God gives the people a second chance. And it took... um, It took repentance. It took dealing with sin. But God led the people of Israel to victory in I. Because nobody is too far gone. And then chapters 9 and 10 and 11 and chapter 12, they go in and they tell and give account of the stories of the victories that the people of Israel, led by Joshua, who was empowered by God, and followed the instruction of God. It tells of the victories that they had over the various nations and cities. And how they were inheriting the land. And then 13 to 22, the chapters. If we read this, we would think, oh, it's the part in your Bible plan where you go, oh my goodness. It's just a list. Joshua divides up the land, but actually... This was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham being played out as the land was divided up amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. And all that God had promised to Abraham was fulfilled in their midst. And then we come to the end of the book, chapters 23 to 24. And we are given an insight into Joshua's last words his last speeches to the people of israel before his time on earth was done and it can be summed up in this that his speeches were about holy versus unholy his verses his, his speeches were about being the holy of pe- holy people of god and living lives that fell short of the mark And Joshua, in chapter 23, the great leader of the people. And the people would have hung off his every word. For he had led them to victory. Through his leadership, they had inherited the promised land. And we're given this insight into his last speech to the people. And he says... From verse 6, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You see, what had happened was they had allowed themselves to be contaminated by the culture that was around them and they'd started to practice some of the practices of the cities and the nations that they had inherited from God. They had started to worship their false gods instead of Yahweh, the one true God who had led them. It says, you must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. And to this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you writes a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you. But the commander of the Lord's armies had said that God was never for Joshua's people 
or for his enemies. But Joshua made a decision. And Joshua turned and he chose the side of God. And as a result, the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Parting wisdom from a man who had led his people into the promised land. And he's saying, here, don't forget about who really led you. He's saying here, don't forget who fights for you. Don't forget the God who is holy, who calls you to do likewise and be his holy people. And you can just imagine You can just imagine what it must have been like for Joshua as he probably fought back tears and he said, you guys have a decision to make and I can't make it for you. Because up until then, he was able to make their decision for them. Because he was their leader. And he says, but I can't make this decision for you. You've got a decision to make. Are you going to follow God? Or are you going to follow the stuff? Are you going to follow the other things? You see, God had said to Joshua, and there's going to be a few verses with which we'll finish here. He said to Joshua, right at the start of the book of Joshua, this very famous verse. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then that throwback to the book of Deuteronomy. Where God says, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And even further back, and it's not up, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And then forward to the book of Isaiah. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You see, just as Joshua has this parting conversation with the people of Israel. And he presents a decision to them that they have to decide what they will do. So do we. And every decision we make has implications. I don't say that to scare you, but I say that because it's a reality. And our decision is this. Are we going to choose a holy God who will fight our battles Or are we going to choose an unholy world with all of its attraction but lack of substance? And at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua doesn't make the decision for the people. But the people have a decision to make. And tonight, so do we. What will we choose? Will we choose holy 
or unholy? Will we choose God or will we choose the world? Let's pray.